0: This episode is brought to you by BunnySlippers.com. Keep your feet warm with some Highland Cow slippers, all shaggy and woolly. Woolly, bully. How are you all doing? Hope you're doing well. Hope you're keeping sane. Hope you're having fun. Hope you've not just watched Tiger King 20 times and maybe you found some new things. Maybe you've written a book. Maybe you've built guitars. Maybe you've built some skate ramps in the back with your grandma. Maybe you've developed a prune-flavored soda. Maybe you have listened to Black Clock Audio Tales. And you know so much more about The Wizard of Oz and the Dorothy uh, Gale books uh, within the Wizard of Oz series. So with this episode, I am going to take some David Heath uh, knowledge of comic books and whatnot, and uh, I'm going to grab some Ken height style Knowledge of everything and anything, and smash them together and uh, give it to you. Yeah, so we're gonna talk about. Ken Haidt, I mean, Ken Haidt's going to talk to me about The Wizard of Oz and several of the books in the series and L. Frank Baum and, you know, that silver gold standard thing about The Wizard of Oz you may have heard about from, like, I don't know, your eighth grade history teacher, but he didn't really know much about it or that friend who made you watch The Wizard of Oz and Pink Floyd at the same time and then someone else was like, yeah, gold standard, man, silver shoes, brah. And then you're like, what are you talking about? And you're like, I gotta get out of this town. Eugene, Oregon. (laughs) Anyway, so, yes. Black Clock Audio Tales, Wizard of Oz. Hey, you know what? It is the last day of April uh, that I recorded this, and I'm putting this out. So I hope you're all having fun. Portland is weirdly bright, and my albinism is not liking it. But luckily, I'm in the studio just recently uh working for a living living for living to work uh building guitars did i mention that already and uh like i don't know fixing databases for jerky companies it's hard to explain just doing the db thing if you want to help out the show if you want to help out db that's me go to black clock audio tales on facebook uh search for us online Uh, people's guide to the cthulhu mythos that's also us Do what you can to help. We've also got Dave's Underground Goat Shenanigans and Articulate Warbling. But they're doing a lot of Facebook stuff right now and not getting a chance to go out and watch a lot of movies. And they're busy reading a lot of books and getting back episodes going. So do what you can to help us out. You know, tell people about us. Rate, review, subscribe on Stitcher, iTunes, any place like that. Remember? You're awesome, and we love you. Hey, everyone! Uh, back again with Ken Height for Black Clock Audio Tales, and we're doing the first five out of six books from The Wizard of Oz, all dealing with uh Dorothy Dorothy Gale. Is it Gale or Hale? Hale, Gale?
1: I don't know. Uh, it, it's Dorothy Gale with a G. Okay. Uh, to rhyme with the. Um, uh, to rhyme, not rhyme, rhyme, but you know what I mean. To be assonant with the tornado that takes her to uh, Oz. And and yes, with me is Ken Height. Hey, to talk about Wizard of Oz stuff. So yeah, I'm oh, sorry to uh, uh, spoil the suspense there. No, no problem. People are like, goodness, it's <laughs> a random episode in which something will be talked about. I wonder if Ken will be there.
0: Who uh, who who who'd uh, DB wrangle up besides That's David right. Heath? <laughs> right. who could it be yeah so Wizard of Oz um, I've, I, I someone was I was talking to someone it may have been Sarah I was talking about Wizard of Oz and she's like oh isn't that about uh, uh, American economics and I'm like I don't know what you're talking about you'd have to ask Ken Height about that <laughs> or like anyway but it's, isn't something about the silver standard and I'm, I'm like I don't, I don't I don't know I'm going to have to ask Ken Height that stuff
1: uh, well, if you want to ask Ken Hyde about that stuff now, we can get right into it, or we can save it as a as a treat for later on. That Whatever was... you want to do, it's your show, DB. That's that's the point I return to time and again. Oh, I this know. Is your I know. show. It's the part I and always you, forget. I think have begun to get a little lazy. And <laughs> your theory is, I will call Ken and say any proper name, and then I'll go away and get a beer. And when I come <laughs> back thirty five minutes later, there will be a podcast. Oh man, you found my trick. <laughs> yeah, trick. I don't know if people can see the air quotes from here, but trick
0: wizard of Oz, it's L Frank Baum. Frank L Baum. I always get that mixed up.
1: L Frank Baum. L Frank Baum.
0: Okay. And they're written
1: like, like 1900 is when they first began, begin. Uh, the, the, the first one is uh, published in, uh, 1900. Okay. Uh, bomb, uh, wrote it, uh, probably over the previous year basically he was sort of um he was mad because there weren't american fairy tales yeah okay to tell his kids he had to read them about stupid princesses and he's like i'm an american we don't have princesses i'm gonna read a proper story in which the world is run by witches not by princesses (laughs) because that's what america's like um and he, he wanted to have a story that would sort of um, feel more contemporary, I guess, than than the other uh, fairy tales and, and, and children's stories that he was reading. And so off he went uh, to invent, a, and it was a story uh, for girls because he had little girls. So he wanted to make sure that uh, that story would uh, resonate, I guess, with the uh, wildly contemporary audience of 1900. Uh, he was, I believe, living in Chicago at the time that he wrote it, um, so another... Another check mark for the greatest city in the world there. And then of course, it became a uh, gigantic uh, sensation. It sold out uh, two editions um, by uh, in like uh, three or four months. So the, the book goes on sale um, in July uh, and it's gone by October. Uh, the second edition is almost done by wow. October. So wow. it was a gigantic success um the uh publisher uh came um basically uh, went bankrupt uh despite the book's success probably the uh, you know problems of success being almost as bad as problems of not success and then it got taken over by a a, a more professional publishing company uh Bob's Merrill and they of course then said well come on uh start writing more books Lyman (laughs) (laughs) and so he did (laughs) and so he did indeed Uh, it turned out I think what 19 of them by the end of by by the time he was done just a giant number of books Um, and I of course read all of them when I was a kid and then I read a bunch of them a few years back uh, when uh, 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 Game Impresario Christopher Allen approached me to write the background for a steampunk Oz role-playing game. And Ooh. so I I read that and I, I, I wrote that up and uh, uh, Chris paid me uh, admirably and then nothing happened. So who can say? But that, <laughs> that was me steeping myself in Oz. And one of the things that I did find out or I did find out, I discovered for myself as I was re-Ozing is the degree to which it really is crazily... A product of you know 1900 turn of the century modernity. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the end of the the sequence that uh, that that Baum got, we've got radium uh, uh, running around. Mm-hmm. We've got uh, all kinds of machines that are alive and talk. In addition to the various uh, animals and and crazy little um, uh, munchkins and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's all manner of, of elements to that story that make it uh, or that universe that make it very. Uh, uh, robustly uh, suitable for, for that kind of uh, examination. That it's, it's very much a story about uh, 1900 and about America as well as a story about the magical land of Oz. Mm-hmm. Qualities of it, I think, that keep it going are not just the sort of uh, great storytelling in the first one or even people's love for the Judy Garland movie, but I think it's a lot of, you know, what... Uh, what people call world building now, as an excuse for not having a plotter characters. Yeah. But uh, but what Baum assembled is is very much something that you when you read it, it feels uh, like a genuine product of, of a of an individual creator. It doesn't feel like everything else mushed up and extruded uh, like so many modern uh, fantasy stories or young adult stories are uh, today. It, Oz is its own. Uh, crazy creation, and I think that's why people are still uh, uh, as psychotically into it uh, now as they were back in 1902 yeah. when you know the sequel comes out. And so <laughs> I, I feel like uh, that kind of creation, and, and we almost take it for granted. We assume that well, it's not that hard. You just you know roll out of bed, uh, uh, go up to the cliff Dwellers uh, building in Chicago, tap it out. Boom! There's a timeless literary classic. It's it's very hard to create, yeah. um, in in a genuine way. And I think that Baum, I, I don't know, uh, uh, I don't know if people like underrate him. I feel like people underrate him and, and think, well, you know, Oz is all well and good, but you know, if we're not racing around shooting each other with with bow and arrows uh, for the for the enjoyment of capital, we're not doing real you know, uh, powerful uh, uh world building and story making. Sure. And I think that I think Oz is, has got it's got something that has appealed to such weirdly diverse talents as uh Robert Heinlein, uh um uh, <laughs> uh Frank Oz, no relation mm-hmm. uh all kinds of, of people have sort of come to Oz and carried away these weird elements that feel natural and connected to themselves. And I think that that's it, – it's one of the very few fantasy worlds to really do that. I mean even Narnia is I think a little distanced by being such powerful Christian allegory. Mm-hmm. And although everyone loves Narnia, no one doesn't love Narnia. I think the feeling of ownership is so much stronger with Oz. Huh. Right? Is, yeah. Do you, do you get that? When you were a kid, were you a, a crazy Oz child or did you read the first one and give him up because – You didn't need a bunch of um, uh, talking couches and whatnot.
0: (laughs) No, no, I found them uh, interesting and a lot more approachable than, like, say, the Lewis Carroll that I was also introduced to and other stuff. And I have to say, yeah, Oz Oz felt a little bit more modern. And also there was the movie that kind of, like, be like, oh, yeah, the movie that I get to stay up and watch about two-thirds of and never get to see the last bit because it's, like, CBS would play it around Thanksgiving or something like
1: that. And and it would would go on for three hours. Yeah, oh, yeah. (laughs) Well, uh, spoilers. uh, Dorothy throws a pail of water on the Wicked Witch and she melts.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, as soon as we got a VCR, I found that out. (laughs) Right,
1: okay. I I just didn't know if if you'd never been allowed to watch the end, that this was an ongoing uh, bit that I was going to ruin. But all right, I'm I'm glad to know. I to not know we're fixed. Um, Yeah, so I just... uh, I, I like the arbitrariness. It feels like a genuine sort of a dream in the way that yeah. you know even even Lovecraft's Dream Quest kind of doesn't feel. Although I think that people have suggested that uh, uh, Dream Quest is at least structurally somewhat based on The Wizard of Oz. That it's the you know the notion of of, of going after this this illusion that turns out to be you know there's no place like home, um, and uh, and and so I I feel like that that sort of crazy dream quality and it it's not that uh every single oz book is as good as every single oz no. book but yeah. th- there's not a ton of fall off even by book 17 or 19 or whatever it is at the very tail end um i'm i'm you know i, I was remarkably surprised at, at how much um uh, uh it still held up even when it was fairly clear that uh poor l frank was what uh, was was basically? I I, I suspect um, uh, getting a little desperate. <laughs> <laughs> this
0: time, Dorothy's gonna be with her hen. <laughs> yeah,
1: what's what's Bellina up to? We haven't heard a lot about her. <laughs> That old Bolina. Yeah. But um but yeah, I mean even Glinda of Oz in addition to all the radium furniture which is insane. Um <laughs> it's got stuff happening. It's it's a it's a real it's a real uh uh it, it it's it's a, it's a it it remains I think part of that world in a way that maybe the last two or three Barsoom books or the last uh, half dozen Tarzan books kind of kind of don't.
0: Yeah.
1: Right? I mean and, and although I've, I've got some sneaking fondness for the one where Tarzan is parachuted into Sumatra to fight the Japanese, <laughs> I thought that was a pretty pretty great uh, Tarzan book. But you have to admit, it doesn't feel a lot like the other Tarzan books. Yeah. Um, and uh, and the Oz books, you know, again, given that there is going to be some uh, diminution from the first, I think, three killer uh, novels, the, I think that even that that last bunch of them is is still pretty strong i hmm. you know i i certainly don't feel like you're wasting your time if you decide to read the first uh however many oz books it is yeah
0: yeah i i i think they're great for also like uh the audiobook version you can put it on and i've been doing i've, I've just been putting it on and like doing yard work and woodworking or like even before this it, it, you know before lockdown it was something that'd be like, oh, put it on in the car. The kids will listen to it, and it's yeah. just like, just yeah, no, the dreamlike quality of it, and something about the dreamlike quality, it, it, it it's, it's like kind of like, uh, makes me think of kind of like a, an Americanized dumbed-down uh, Lord Dunsany in some ways.
1: Yeah, I, I think that both Dunsany and Baum are coming out of this sort of uh, 1890s. Uh, you know, uh, uh, efflorescence of symbolist uh, art and literature, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I suspect that you know Dunzani is being very Anglo-Irish and aristocratic, and L. Frank Baum is being very American and uh, oh. and, and uh, democratic is is maybe the wrong word for a for a country that is ruled by an absolute magical monarch, <laughs> but uh, it it has a sort of a. a you know, a, a sensibility like that in the way that, you know, Dorothy sort of comes from nowhere to become the trusted advisor to the kingdom. And there's <laughs> lots of sort of very, very, um, uh, like you say, like the chicken that become major characters and yeah. heroes. Um, and then that's one of the things that I, I like about the Oz books is that basically any one of the Oz characters can wind up being the hero of the story, if not for the whole novel for a bit. And, and it's not just always... Dorothy and a bunch of sidekicks. It's you know, it's more balanced than say Doc Savage is. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, every now and again, you know, the little glass cat is gonna is gonna uh, 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 hero out, or even stupid loser Button Bright, who I hated as a kid, <laughs> uh, is gonna turn out to be important and helpful. Yeah. And, and so I just uh, I, I I really like that, and I think that people underestimate El Frank Baum, you know, at their peril. Uh, it, it's terrific stuff.
0: Yeah, no, no, and yeah, I definitely wanted to say some of the most dumbest, weirdest characters end up being the heroes, and these stories are also, like, I I love these stories, they're so fun, but it's also at the same time, it's like, they're also kind of dumb and weird, and it's like,
1: eh, well, no, no, that's that's the story. But that, I think, is, is the quality of it, is that Bomb... And, and maybe in you know 1914, A Talking Couch wasn't dumb and weird. Yeah, maybe yeah. it was normal. I don't think it was, but whatever. But Baum has the bravery to still sort of think, what is going to be immediately amusing in the moment? <laughs> and just go with it. it there's no... The, the world feels organic. It feels real. All the bits of it, all the strange, ridiculous bits of it, there's no part of it that even the radium furniture. You're not like, well, that doesn't belong in Oz. Mm-hmm. It's more like I'm surprised to find that in Oz, but you don't have an un-Ozness sensibility. Whereas if you put radium furniture in Narnia, it would feel strange and, and bizarre. Yeah. Uh, but uh, radium furniture in Oz makes total sense. And 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 he had the sort of the the confidence in his own writing and the courage to not worry that people would say. Uh, really Lyman a talking couch uh, and just toss it in there and 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 go nuts with it and and be very uh open to that sort of raw creative juice whatever he was uh, imbibing and that and that quality I think maybe more than anything else except for the optimism and the egalitarianism which is again I'm aware that Oz is a dictatorship mm-hmm. back off um, and the egalitarianism I think that sort of openness, to his own invention is is one of the things that makes Oz so charming and then when people because there's been a ton of people who've written sequels Ruth Prumley Thompson mm-hmm. basically took over because uh, Baum uh, uh, turned it over to her after the um, after the uh, uh, you know, after his his first 14 books um, and then uh, uh, she wrote a bunch of Oz books but they but they very much feel like someone writing in someone else's, like like fanfic, mm-hmm. in that way, right? Yeah. And it's it's not to say that they're not good. I mean, they're 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 perfectly fine, but just that quality changes. And I think maybe part of it is that uh, that it is someone else's universe, and that it is so dependent on Bomb and Bomb's specific uh, creative uh, influences and and what he was doing, and and you know just the 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 dynamic uh, in him. That, that made Oz so much his own thing and then every now and again you know you'll you'll see the movies and you know it, it's a real tribute to, to Michael Curtiz that the movie Wizard of Oz which has so uh, very little to do with the novel mm-hmm. The Wonderful Wizard of Oz it's it's vastly different in a lot of ways but it still feels like its own thing and like bomb in a way that even the the movie that I'm very very fond of uh, uh, Return to Oz uh uh, is um, kind of doesn't feel like that okay. in, in a way, it, it despite being a great uh movie and a great adaptation of the novel, it doesn't feel you know, part of that um, uh, part of that universe, uh, the way that um, that the, the the uh, Judy Garland movie does, and maybe that's just because I saw the Judy Garland movie at the same time as a kid that I was reading the books and they just connected up in my brain, even though I intellectually know they're entirely different. Hmm.
0: Interesting. I, uh, as a child, uh, we took a, being Portland, uh, Portlander, uh, we took a tour of, uh, Studios, I think for, like, Cub Scouts, and they were working on some claymation for Return to Oz, Mm-hmm. So I haven't seen the movie, but I really? do know that there's a rock guy in it. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, very- it, it it was just one of those. It's like, oh, I'll see that later. I'll see that later. It's like, oh, I'll see that later. So I should probably see it before uh, the month's over.
1: <laughs> I, I I recommend it. Um, I think it's a uh, it's a it's it's a really good uh uh. It's a, it's a really good movie in and of itself. It's it's got the sort of. Dark edge of 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 worry and scariness that uh, that a proper Oz uh, tale should have, mm-hmm. it, but it's um, but it doesn't have the sort of crazy uh, whimsicalness that Oz should also have. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think as a as a horror connoisseur, uh, you should definitely see it. Yeah, um, uh, it's uh, it, it's it's very strong, and um, and Walter Murch. Uh, You know, one of the one of the great editors of of all time uh, did a remarkable job um, uh, with it as as a as just a a film, uh, a piece of cinematic art. Yeah. Although again, um, it it very much feels like sort of someone having a take on Oz as opposed to something organically growing out of Oz. Hmm. And but that's just me. I mean, Hmm. I I I do think it's worth seeing though, and certainly as a as a horror aficionado, uh, if if your kids can 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 handle uh that kind of uh, of thing then knock yeah absolutely cool cool yeah
0: <laughs> I plan on watching it soon yeah uh, right. what, what what other uh, Oz based media out there would you recommend for like people who are more horror or weird bent is there is I mean, is there much out there or
1: um, there's I mean there's a bunch of Oz uh, uh, Philip Jose farmer did a book called barnstormer of Oz mm-hmm. uh, because and, and, that, and this one is trying to science the, um, the magic and sort of provide a, a, a pseudo-scientific or scientific explanation for everything. Um, and it being Philip Jose Farmer, uh, there's sex in it. Um, so kids, watch out. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I'm a fan of Philip Jose Farmer's mind more than I am his prose. <laughs> so I, I liked that a good bit. There's a, a, a revisionist bunch of Oz novels by uh, Gregory Maguire that are like Oz from the Witch's point of view, which are they're well received. But I mm-hmm. thought that the first one was uh, very, um, uh, very obvious and, and tiresome. I'm not a big fan of the "Hey, let's make the bad guy the good guy" books. Yeah. They're usually they're usually that's the that I've just given you mm-hmm. that's their idea, and then everything else is just you know, you know a. Uh, uh, Knocking down plot coupons From a much better plot uh, So yeah, uh, I'm not a giant fan um, But If you're looking for a sort of a, a Dark revisionist take on Oz I guess Gregory Maguire's the way to go But in, in terms of people ruining Oz uh, You know, Philip Jose Farmer Ruins Oz a lot better than Gregory Maguire does right. um, And he just does it by adding Science and sex, which is Much better than adding, you know um, uh, Moral relativism And and, and whatnot. And uh, subversion for that point of subversion, and of course, uh, no one ruined Oz like uh, Robert Heinlein ruined Oz in *Number of the Beast*, um, <laughs> uh, because that's just a terrible, terrible novel. And um, uh, and I've just found out, by the way, there is an even worse version of it—an even longer version of it—that mm-hmm. uh, is is the like the first draft before um, the the editors said no, please, Bob, no. <laughs> so so um, I in terms of uh, uh and there, i think that there's some some uh you know dark comic books about oz and things like that that are are by and large you know just uh and i'm the one to talk obviously but but they're they're just sort of you know taking a, a better idea and trying to um uh to, to to riff on it with with um uh you know they just want to have zombies and so they put zombies in oz or whatever yeah. And it's you know it's it's fine I guess if, if you're into that um, and uh, again I have shelves of Cthulhu Mythos books I'm well aware of the desire to uh, associate uh, yourself with a with a better author and a and a greater creation so uh, I, I am being somewhat uh, uh, hypocritical when I say uh, don't do it to Oz people you're just embarrassing <laughs> yourselves although I do feel like Oz can be pushed right close right up real close to the dreamlands. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, if if you are doing a game in which you're playing American characters in the dreamlands, and it's a period game, like it's you're, you're, the game takes place in the 20s, um, it would be very hard to resist putting Oz in, because mm-hmm. Oz has that, like we talked about, dream quality. And if you're an American uh, Midwestern dreamer, uh, unlike uh, Fancy Pants Randolph Carter... Uh yeah Oz will have been part of your dreamscape uh growing up. So yeah, you'd be you'd be running into um uh, uh gnome kings and uh and gumps and whatnot. <laughs> Unless Oz is just a
0: fantastical version of the dreamlands and gnome kings are uh <laughs> and gumps are,
1: are uh <laughs> are, yes, gnome kings are actually gugs. <laughs> I thought the gugs. I thought gugs were taller. Yeah, a lot of people think that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and um, uh, the the city of Oz is actually uh, a Sarcomand. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy stuff. Crazy. Crazy stuff. Yeah, I mean it's. It, it, I mean you can certainly you know there's there's no there's no harm or shame in in screwing around with it for your own enjoyment and your okay. own game, um, and and because it is so. Uh, messy is not the word that i that i maybe want to use but so messy and and full of all kinds of things mm-hmm. uh, there's always going to be some weird little edge sticking off where you say but what if this you know yeah, yeah you know yeah. um uh, the you know the and when you just sort of say it baldly things like the origin story of the tin man are kind of terrifying oh my yeah yeah uh, i just kept chopping my limbs off with my <laughs> cursed axe well that'll happen
0: Luckily, there was this tin worker who make me an arm. (laughs) Yeah.
1: This handy tin worker who just kept coming by.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah. No,
1: that's, yeah,
0: it's, there's, generally for the most part, the odd stories are very kind of, kind of, like, I don't know, dreamy and everything. And then there's, like, the weird, scary, dreamy parts, like. With the Tin Woodsman, that's yeah, <laughs> yeah. And,
1: and so there's there's genuine darkness in it. I'm not saying that an attempt to add darkness is is a is a bad attempt. And of mm-hmm, course, Wampum mm-hmm. uh, puts darkness in it. He puts it in with the various threats to Oz, starting with the Gnome King, and, and going on up from there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and those are genuinely dangerous, scary things, just like in fairy tales or Peter Pan or whatever else. And the quality of those fears I think, I guess the point I was making about the stupid zombie comic book Oz or vampire Oz or Mm -hmm. whatever, is that Bomb put fears and terrors into Oz so why are you importing new ones out of Oz? Yeah. Uh, You know, why, I mean, you've got flying monkeys and and whole fields of of deadly uh, uh, hypnotic poppies and uh, all manner of things happening uh you know uh, wicked witches and good witches and you know all, all kind of activity uh and that's and, and that's the place to, to get your terror from don't you know import you know uh you know socialist realism or or vampires <laughs> yeah. um th- they don't belong in oz you know make your own stupid story uh for god's sake um so the so the the, the qualities of of oz that are the, the 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 nightmare side of Oz, I think, is buried a little deeper than it is in the Dreamlands. Obviously, mm-hmm. yeah. because L. Frank Baum was a well-adjusted person who lived in the <laughs> Midwest. Um, <laughs> but uh, but there's a lot there's a lot going down going on down in the sort of uh, depths of Oz, if you will. A good mm-hmm. title for a book, um, and I think that it's it's worth looking at. Uh, uh, his uh, mother-in-law, I believe. Uh, was a... uh, Oh, they didn't have Wiccans back then, but she was a witch. And uh, was a historian, uh, if that is the word I want, of witchcraft, uh, who was uh, one of the main... uh, One of the main reasons that you still see, if you are in neo-pagan circles and Wiccan circles, you'll see references to the nine million uh, witches uh, uh, uh burned alive in the burning times during the witch persecutions in Europe and uh, that is uh, a, a number that basically, I think actually her number was like 3 million and then it sort of magically increased uh, mm-hmm. uh, a little bit later his um, mother-in-law or aunt-in-law or whatever she was, um, I think her name was Margaret Gage mm-hmm. um, uh, oh, Matilda Joslyn Gage that was her name um, and uh, uh, she uh, is the reason that Baum made sure to put good witches into the book, huh. because his um, uh, his, his mother in law is a big um, uh, pro witch person, and so he thought, what a great idea for a book is if we have good witches and evil witches. Hmm. That'll uh, that that'll be great, and so um, it's uh, it's thank to it's uh, thanks to that that um, uh, that wine uh, that that you get your Glinda's and your and your other good witches and Ozma is because a uh, bomb wants to keep his mother-in-law happy because again he's a he's a normal person um, and, uh, and and that uh, struck me as a, as a wild uh, sidelight on it is is the sort of uh, notion of the good witch which again is you know even now I think if you say good witch people's first thought is Glinda not you know um, uh, not um uh Tabitha. Mm-hmm. Uh, right? Mm-hmm. So, um it's a it's it, it's a it, it's a it's a fun idea that, you know, this whole, you know, uh repolarization of the fantasy universe happened because L. Frank Baum thought, um, you know, uh if I just put a normal witch in this book, uh my mother in law is gonna be very mad at me and my life will be <laughs> hell. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Wizard of Oz. Wizard of Oz. Did you want to talk about the monetary policy now? Or yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, it's something that people have brought up about, like, there's, you know, symbolism in The Wizard of Oz. And I'm like, yeah, I'm sure there's symbolism in The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> but, like, people will be like, no, it's about, you know, and then start talking about economic stuff. And I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm not well-versed enough in <laughs> the politics of, and the economics of... uh the early 20th century to be like okay, all right uh, silver standard, sure you bet.
1: Yeah, I mean there's a guy named uh, Henry Littlefield who was a historian, and uh, again, maybe that should be in quotes too but his argument was that uh, the Wizard of Oz was about uh, the Silverite movement. Okay. And the Silverites wanted the uh, government, the United States government, to coin silver uh, at a ratio of 16 to 1. And that was... uh, uh, to, with gold and that would have raised the value of silver and lowered the value of gold it would have been an inflationary step and the people who supported it were by and large people who owed mortgage payments um which was especially farmers uh who were all in debt to the to the banks and the railroad companies mm-hmm. and so if you freely coined silver it would drive um uh uh, it, it would it would inflate the economy. People could uh, uh, borrow more cheaply, and they could uh, use the new silver money to pay off their debts. And that was the argument by the silver people: is that it would it would um, rebalance the economy. And you see it that same sort of argument when people are like, you know, well, let's just, you know, uh, uh, make a trillion dollar coin, and then that will uh, back our debt, and everything will be fine, and we can go back to spending money like drunken sailors. Mm-hmm. And um so the silver movement is is not dead. Uh, it just has stopped talking about silver because now we don't back our money with anything. Um but uh, uh it turns out uh and, and so that is the argument that uh, oz comes from the abbreviation for ounces as in ounces of silver or ounces of gold. Uh uh the yellow brick rolled is is the goads is the gold standard. Um and the uh, silver shoes that take you home are the silver standard. And so you may walk up the gold standard, but it'll just lead you into trouble. But when you get to the uh, land of Oz, OZ, where everything can be converted, then you can, you know, uh, send yourself home with your silver shoes and everything will be great. And you'll return to a prosperous farm. This is all well and good, except that it turns out that L. Frank Baum um, also uh, was a uh, newspaper editor in uh, South Dakota for a while Mm -hmm. and published a number of editorials mocking the silverites and saying that they were wrong and that they had no sense of economics and they were going to ruin the country with their ridiculous inflation ideas and so the um uh uh, so so even if uh it's true that oz means ounces and the uh yellow brick road means the gold standard and this it means the opposite of what henry littlefield said and more likely it doesn't mean that at all (laughs) i mean yeah it's it's um uh it's uh if anything um people have said uh it's an argument against inflation because the emerald city which is an illusion is the greenbacks is money with nothing to back it. Mm-hmm. And again, i sincerely doubt that L Frank Baum was thinking how can i make this charming children's fable a uh, a uh a an incisive argument about fiscal policy. I think he was more as i as we've talked previously sort of uh Taking this this wonderful fount of creativity that he had, mm-hmm. and just trying to keep it within the, the walls of a plot, uh, more than anything else. And if he's using uh, symbols um, like Dorothy is the everyman or the every woman, every person, um, it's just because those are the symbols that are sort of floating around in the air. And uh, the flying monkeys are because. This is the 1890s, 1900s. People are all very concerned with Darwin and what Darwin means for humanity and what Darwin means for America. Mm -hmm. And so the monkeys represent this sort of uh, primitive, dangerous part of us that we're supposed to get beyond. And, you know, that's just in the air in the 1890s when Baum is having the ideas that come out with it. It's not that Baum is like saying, aha, the flying monkeys will represent um, uh, the, you know... uh, East Coast stock jobbers. He's he's not saying that. <laughs> flying monkeys represent flying monkeys. They represent the uh, dangerous inner Darwinian animal part of us, given you know unnatural lift by magic. Um, similarly, people have said, well, the Wizard of Oz is clearly you know William Jennings Bryan. And it's like the Wizard of Oz is a um, absolutely standard uh, figure. He's the Chautauqua entertainer. He's the guy mm-hmm. who shows up and his bit in the vaudeville show that would be done out in the in the small towns in south dakota is that he can recite shakespeare and he can discourse learnedly and people would show up it's like watching a ted talk yeah you would go out you would get you would pay your nickel you'd sit down and a guy in a top hat with an east coast accent would discourse learnedly at you and then you'd say well i feel like my life is better and you would go back and plant alfalfa (laughs) and it's the exact same thing so if If we had a modern-day Wizard of Oz, he'd be one of those sort of uh, uh, airbrushed uh, turtleneck TED Talk guys. Mm -hmm. He wouldn't be the sort of roadside uh, mountebank uh, that he is in uh, the the, the story, but he's not meant to be William Jennings Bryan. People made fun of William Jennings Bryan because he was also from the prairie and uh, talked uh, a lot, but they don't have anything in common, and, and they don't you know, there's no other things in common that would make you say uh, he's obviously meant to be William Jennings Bryan. He's, he's not. He's obviously meant to be um, a, uh, a, a a learned uh, discourser uh, who is actually just sort of part of the carnival and uh, doesn't uh, have anything. Uh, uh, to do and the way you know that is because when he gives his backdrop his background he's basically got that and that's one of the things that the movie Return to Oz does get right is that the wizard is is uh, portrayed very much as one of those figures one of those sort of uh, carnival mountebanks, banks mm-hmm. and, uh, and that's a, a, a strong um, uh, that, that, that's a strong part of it but it's strong because it's part of that 1890s 1880s world that L. Frank Baum uh, lived and worked and grew up in in the same way that, um, you know, when H.P. Lovecraft is, is, is expressing some, you know, concern about, um, uh, about, uh, uh, inbreeding, he's doing that in the context of the eugenics, uh, uh, movement, right? Mm-hmm. He's not just, he didn't just pull that out of the air. Yeah. Uh, or rather he literally did pull it out of the air and the air was full of people arguing about eugenics. Yeah. And similarly in the, uh, 1880s and 1890s, the air is full of this sort of, you know, um, uh, everything is terrible in the in the in in uh, in the farm country uh, and what can we do about it and um, oz is not a political program oz is a very sort of American uh if you're good and you are nice to people and you help each other out things are gonna work out mm-hmm. and that's what it is it's it doesn't have I mean if that's an ideology it's it's the American ideology really and so that's its ideology it's not it doesn't have to smuggle in arguments about uh, banking, because it's making the bigger argument about when you get caught up in a tornado, and have an opportunity. Uh, do you be a hero or do you not be a hero? Um, do you, you know, do you inspire a cowardly lion, for example? Gotcha. And that's what you do. And and again, is the cowardly lion Britain? No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but. Was El Frank Baum an American of the 1890s, which imply and, and of the West, which means he thought the British were kind of a joke? Absolutely. So, if the if the Cowardly Lion seems uh, uh, analogous to current uh, depictions of, of of Great Britain as a, as a as a faded empire, a paper tiger, if you will, paper lion, um, then that's not a coincidence. But it's not it's not a political symbol. It's that these symbols came out of political or cultural places and then bomb takes them and uses them in that dream logic way, uh, that we've talked about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and- I'm, 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 I mean, it's, it's great literature. So mm-hmm. you can find symbols and meaning in it, uh, of whatever sort. Sure. Um, you can, um, uh, yeah, I mean, you you can and you can dig down and th- find things out, like oh, his um, uh, his mother-in-law uh, believed in that witches were good, so okay. that's where that comes from. But I don't think that you can find um, an argument that uh, uh, that that L. Frank Baum constructed this as an allegory in the way that uh, Lewis wrote Narnia as a Christian allegory, or the way that Orwell wrote Animal Farm as a political allegory. It it just isn't an allegory. No, Uh, it's it's a it's a work of literature. Literature and things that have symbolic weight will have symbolic weight, but that's not the same thing as saying, you know, Baum had to make sure to you know um, uh, to uh, join industry and agriculture together, and that's why there's a scarecrow and a tin man on the road. I don't think that's the case.
0: And I have to say, most of the time that I have uh, heard this theory has been when people are pairing. The Wizard of Oz movie with Dark Side of the Moon. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and someone has to be like it's like that's the dumbest thing ever. No, be quiet. We're trying to watch something and listen to something at the same time that aren't supposed to ever be watched or listened to.
1: <laughs> or are
0: they? No. <laughs> okay, Honestly, Star Wars uh episode four pairs up a lot better. Mm, and episode episode seven and, as well.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yes, but but uh that's 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 an that's a, that's an interesting thought that um uh there we are star wars is a is a remake of wizard of oz you know
0: what if someone yeah, said you, that i'd be like a, okay you got a far
1: boy you've got a tin man you've got a uh uh i, I I'm, this is very strong yeah and they yeah. Uh, and they get to the uh to the to the the, the emerald city and they blow it up <laughs> Yep. Yep. Very... It's it's all it's, all happening. it's oh, yeah. all happening. Oh yeah. Um. Yeah. So, so I mean, and, and this is the weird thing. I don't know if it's just uh, peop, uh, people have to. You know, I I don't know why people are insisting that these sorts of very dull uh, 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 elements are part of what people are thinking of. I mean, it, mm-hmm. bomb. Uh, while he obviously had political opinions as a as a newspaper uh, publisher um, or newspaper editor um, and expressed them uh, vigorously, the notion that everyone is always you know trying to propagandize uh, for some sort of uh, political aim mm-hmm. it's just not the case. It's not how things are written or done. And even if you have you know a very very strong understanding that uh, uh, that a, a a work of art is written uh, for a political reason, so for example Macbeth is written. In um, uh, response to the Gunpowder Plot, and so that's why uh, Shakespeare is writing about, you know, uh, ructions and plots against the true king of Scotland. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's doing it because he knows that James uh, the First is going to watch this play. But he'd be an idiot to be saying, "And in this play, I'm going to give James the First my ideas for how to run the kingdom." He's certainly <laughs> not going to do that. <laughs> that's that's a short trip to the Tower of London, and so even a, a play that we know is political in that sense, shouldn't be interpreted through the you know can we you know there'll be like references, but in the same way that you'd you'd riff on anything in a in a in a in a comedy bit or a or a or a you know a Zucker style movie, mm-hmm. the references are in there to give moments of recognition, not to uh, drive uh, meaning uh of the of the story the story is its own story it, it it does its own thing very
0: cool well ken thank you so much for coming on and talking about the wizard of oz uh talking about the books and the writers and all that fun stuff oh man we forgot to talk about zardos no we didn't <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: i forgot is a strong word yeah <laughs> But again, I mean you you talk about something that comes out of a place of fearless dreamlike imagery. Oh geez. Maybe John Borman is the legitimate heir <laughs> to El Frank Baum. Maybe, maybe. But uh but watch Return to Oz before you watch Zardoz. Oh yeah. <laughs> That's just my advice.
0: <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. And yeah, make sure your kids are a lot older if they're gonna be hanging out with you. Maybe yeah, no, no, just 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 Keep the kids out of it. Uh, thank you again, Ken. Thank you for talking Wizard of Oz, and we'll talk to you next time about something fun. I'm sure. Uh, do you have any any uh, projects coming up, coming out?
1: Uh, We're uh, probably as you hear this, we may have opened the backer kit for Tour de Lovecraft uh, Book Two: The Destinations. Uh, you can follow the link, and I'll bet the link will go somewhere helpful. Uh, and if we haven't opened, you can jump on. Uh, At the uh, backer rate. If we have opened it, you may still be able to jump on at the backer rate. I don't know. And then if we're well past it, you can just uh, pre order it or buy it in PDF. and then I'm also working on Hellenistica, which is my 5th uh, edition Dungeons & Dragons setting set in the Good Parts version of the 3rd century BC. Lots of war elephants and flying triremes and cat people and all manner of good stuff.
0: That sounds amazing, Ken. <laughs> I can't wait for that. <laughs> right. Me either, because it'll mean I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we'll talk to you next time, Ken. All right, bye. Always good to have Mr. Ken Height on the show. And remember, check out Ken and Robin talk about stuff Which I don't know You you can find anywhere you find us And you know what I think you should check out Ken's Patreon Priority uh, question asking questions For Ken and Robin talk about stuff And uh Yeah subscribe to Ken and Robin talk about stuff If you you don't know anything about Ken Hyde other than he's on this show And some other podcasts that you've listened to Check them out, look them up. Uh, Ken and Robin talk about stuff. Uh, Robin D. Law is also a great writer and game developer, uh, game designer guy, Uh, he's Canadian, and I've gotten some good uh, Instant Pot recipes from listening to the show. And also great ideas for game design, which one of these days uh, I will release one of my games and you can all be like, oh, this is why he hasn't released many games. They're terrible. You know who's not terrible? David Heath, and the folks over in Oleander, Oregon, over at uh, Uncle Owen's Goat Farm. Luckily, we have Dave um, on staff, so yeah, we can uh, have him send us stuff, and he's going to talk to us about Dorothy in uh, various other, well, the Wizard of Oz in general, and other forms of media. Something we didn't go into with Ken, but... Dave's on top of that, so let's talk to Dave from Dave's Underground Goat and Dave's Corner of the Universe, and this little segment I like to call Dave's Corner of the Podcast, uh, unlike the other part, which I like to call uh, DB knows nothing and Bugs Ken Height for uh, resources. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure that's what Ken Height would refer to it as, well, alright. Here we go with Dave. And Oh, oh, yeah, we've got episode 7 of Dave's Underground Goat Shenanigans coming pretty soon after I get done editing this together. Uh, I think sometime tonight I'm going to be editing up some stuff from Dave. All right, here we go. Talk to you later, and thank you for listening.
2: Hey, everybody, this is David. And uh, D.B. asked me to talk a little bit about The Wizard of Oz. Now, if you've ever listened to my parts of this show or anything I've ever done... I always want to talk about things from a different angle than than most other people talking And, to be honest, in general, I don't know that much about The Wizard of Oz. I know that there were 14 books that were written. I know that the first one really was a uh, satire about politicians in the uh, American Midwest in uh, the late 18th, earliest 19th century. But, to be honest, you know other than what we pretty much all know, flying monkeys are cool, I don't really know that much about it. There are, however, lots of offshoots of The Wizard of Oz uh, and the later stories written by many different people, and many of them talk and touch on Dorothy. So, I mean, we see many Dorothys, you know, from a sweet, innocent girl... To, you know, every Halloween, there's there's always someone dressed up as sexy Dorothy. So there are literally dozens, if not hundreds, of versions of Dorothy out there. So we're going to talk about my favorite version of Dorothy, although a more obscure one. And that's going to be Dorothy Gale, Bond villainess. Okay, maybe not appearing in a James Bond movie, but appearing in the next best thing. And that is Vertigo's Fable Comics. So uh, Fables was created by uh, Bill Willingham back in 2000. Those of you who are not familiar with the work, it's basically fable creatures from legend and fairy tales exist. Now, they may not exist as we tell them in the story, but they exist in this world in a wainscoting kind of universe where they live side by side with us Mundine people who they call Muddies. So it's a little slightly different. So Big Bad Wolf is Bigby Wolf, and he's a werewolf detective. And it is his job to protect these Fables and Fable Town. And his number one agent is Cinderella. So Cinderella is one of my least favorite Disney princesses. I don't know why, it just isn't. But I love this version of Cindy. She is Fable's version of James Bond, or James Blonde, or Jamie Bond, however you want to say it. The first story I read with her She's sent up to these clouds where the giants live to negotiate with the clouds. And the reason she does this is because she knows when this mission's over, she can jump off the cloud and skydive back down. She's this adrenaline junkie secret agent who lives for the thrill of the, the fight, of the chase. She's also this super patriotic. Fabletown is her country. These are her people, and she fights, and will kill for them. Now, she dumps Prince Charming because, in this version, he's a stupid oaf. You know, so vain, full of himself. But, quite a few of the princesses marry him. So, Prince Charming is her ex, and she is takes his time, trains, becomes a super spy. Everyone thinks, though, she's this vapid, Uh, socialite who owns a shoe store and no one realizes that she is basically a special forces trained level agent. There are two graphic novels and these were both written uh, by actually uh, Chris Robinson and there's two graphic novels that cover Cindy. One is from Fable Town with Love And the other one and this is the one we're going to talk about because it has dorothy in it is fables are forever and just from the titles you get that these are spoofs of james bond but they're also loving tributes and i like that james bond is a female character here so fleming's misogyny does not occur in the story. Okay, and I'm going to have to... Give you, I can't tell you this story without having massive spoilers. And mainly spoilers for uh, Fables Are Forever, because that's the, the Dorothy story. So, you may want... If, you, if you're if you thinking about reading them, you may want to hold off listening to the rest of this. Hello? Hello? Okay, if you're still here, then... I'm just going to assume that you are cool with spoilers. First spoiler, Dorothy is the bad guy. I mean Blofeld or Red Grant level bad guy. So how did she go from this innocent little farm girl to professional assassin? And it comes with her adventures in Oz. She killed a witch. She got rewarded for that. She killed another witch. She got rewarded again. She gets back to the real world and realizes, you know, that's her skill, killing people. And that she will get paid for it. Now, in the Fables version of Dorothy, she is very proud. She is the best. She is this great professional killer. And the only one who's ever beaten her in the past is cinderella so in true james bond type evil villain fashion she not only has to take cinderella out she has to trap her prove that she's smarter than her than cinderella and humiliate her now in her core this version of Dorothy is a midwestern tomboy. She has these huge muscles. You know, she's exaggerated. She's not this little girl anymore. She's grown up. She is beef fed. You know, she when she fights, she uses her strength to her advantage. So a good portion of this story is told in flashbacks that in the 80s before the fall of the Soviet Union, Asian, Eastern European, and African fables basically created their own nation. But unlike, say, the Arabian Nights in Baghdad or the American fables, which are somewhere in New York, they weren't all one place. They were sort of this shadow network that was sort of a political enigma, but also possible threat to Fabletown, And she is given the code name, Silver Slipper. Now, in the original uh, bomb books, the, the, the Ruby Slippers, and I'm sure if somebody else has been talking about this, has already mentioned, but the Ruby Slippers were created for the movie. In the books, they were Silver Slippers. So we have here basically the showdown, glass slipper. So in the Fable comics, just like in the original books, the, the slippers do more than just allow Dorothy to, to get back home. It allows her to fly, but it also allows her to take the form of anyone else. Now this would be the ultimate boom for a professional assassin and I'm I'm not going to spoil it but this is key to to Dorothy's plan to get revenge on Cinderella for having beaten her in the 80s and in fact you know Cinderella and Bigby Wolf you know Fable Town they think that Dorothy was killed kind of you know like on Rock and Buck Falls where Moriarty and Sherlock Holmes fought but she's not she's sort of put in this she's put in this prison for fables she actually escapes in one of the companion comics to fables Jack of Fables and she comes back to get her revenge on Cindy And she does this in a way that is very Bond villain-like, as opposed to just killing her in her sleep. Or She even, again, spoilers, even saves Cindy once in the story so that she can eliminate her at her time and in her way. So she's become classic Bond villain in, in, in this story. And there are definitely tributes to, to Bond here. There's gadgets, there's the rivalry, beautiful women fighting in their bikinis. This is much as much inspired uh, by James Bond or the James Bond mythos as, say, Alan Moore's uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, uh, the Black Dossier. So Toto is there. And so is the cowardly lion and the Tin Man, but Dorothy ditches them. She realizes they're gonna hold her back, so she ditches them, leaves them, pretty on in her experiences in the United States, uh, because you know she can't. If she's gonna be this professional killer, she can't have this heart and she can't be afraid of anything. So she she ditches them but she does replace them with three other entities from the Oz novels. One being the Chiss. Now, Chiss is basically this gigantic porcupine that can shoot poison needles out. Uh, And it first appeared in uh, The Patchwork Girl of Oz, but in this, she's basically one of Dorothy's minions. And she is sent by Dorothy to attack uh, Cindy as well as her traveling companion. She also has Mungle, uh, the glass cat. And this is Dorothy's uh, odd job or jaws. Basically her number two. And this also is a, a character from The Patchwork Girl of Oz. And it, she's a cat made out of glass, but you can see her brain. And so she has this really sort of eerie, almost lovecraftian appearance to her. Robinson also uses a, as a, one of the more obscure uh, creatures in the Oz uh, series, uh, the, the Spoon Brigade. So these are a bunch of little spoon soldiers. Now, in this version, they actually have you know, they can get a whole bunch of them get in basically a human disguise, pretend that they're humans, uh but they can also fly airplanes. They are Dorothy's minions. They're her shock troopers. They're also because of their size and stealthiness, they're her spies. So, just like I love this version of Cinderella more than any other version, I love this version of Dorothy more than any other version. She is evil. She is a murderer. But she's also a Midwestern girl. She's a product of her times. She doesn't swear. um, And she becomes an equal to, to Cindy. And her downfall is these bad traits that she has. She's proud. She's vain. She wants to humiliate and destroy Cinderella. And honestly, I like her more than I like most of the movie Bond villain. She is this awesome bad girl. Well, I'm sure that when you clicked on to listen to about, you know, The Wizard of Oz. This was the last thing you thought someone was going to talk about, but uh, my name is David, and I write a, a blog called uh, Dave's Corner of the Universe. I also do a podcast called Dave's Underground Goat Shenanigans. Check it out.